Welcome back to the Make Life Work podcast with me, Cy Jobling, father of two, full-time engineering manager and side project hustler. This is the ninth season of the podcast, which takes a slightly different direction from previous seasons and now focuses on how people find that work-life balance. So ideally, you can learn some little tips and tricks too. Nobody has pure harmony, but everyone has their own approaches that work or possibly don't. This week, I've invited along my old podcasting friend, James Norton, head of engineering at Kazoo, not the famous British actor. James and I go way back through the years, so know each other really well, and I've always respected his opinions on creating a healthy engineering culture between work and home life. The pandemic has definitely made James find a new balance though, so I was keen to dive deeper and share some of his insights. Let's get into it. How does James Norton make life work? So welcome along, James. How are you doing, mate? I'm pretty good, thanks. How are you doing, Sly? For a Monday, not too badly. How about you? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. We're a few hours into the week now, so I'm, I'm sort of over the Monday blues. You're over it. Busy morning, though? Busy morning. Always a busy morning. Always, always a busy morning. And busy days, I imagine, with you as well. Always. It's always yeah. busy, but it's good. It's good. It keeps me entertained, but it is it is tough because there's uh, there's a lot going on in life. It seems to only ever get busier, never get easier. Yeah, but that's probably a good thing. Keeps us in demand. We keeps us in jobs. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't mind a little bit less, but uh, but it's not just a job. You know, it's everything at home as well. As you know, it's, it's all it's a lot. It's yeah, a lot. all the things which I'm sure all we'll go things. through at some point. So for the benefit of our listeners, because I've known you for many, many years now, what is exactly you do? And uh, can you tell us what that, you know, how you got into it all? I mean, I wish I knew what I did. But, um, so <laughs> Someone should. my actual job is head of engineering for Kazoo. Cool. Well-known used car sales website. Looking for a new car, go to Kazoo. I'm sure you've heard the adverts and, and see our sponsorships, et cetera. I have. You can't um, get away from the sponsorships. Exactly. So I've been, been with Kazoo for a couple of years. I started off as a developer or a coder. And Back I, in the day. When did the term software engineer become a thing? Because I think like these days I'd have been called a software engineer, but I would never call myself a software engineer ever in my whole working life. No, me, me neither. No, no. I was a coder or just one of those weird geek people. Webmaster, other classic role. Oh, I was never a webmaster, but I... I like to think I mastered the web, but I'm not sure I did. But yeah, so I, I started back in like 1999. The turn of the internet when it was sort of taking off. Yeah, yeah. It was just beginning and I got into it then pretty much by accident. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. I dropped out of uni, mm -hmm. hated uh, uni, which was entirely my fault. Uh, I picked the wrong university, wrong course, everything. So I uh, dropped out and then I was like, what, what am I going to do? And, and my mum said to me, she said, if you don't get a job, I'm going to kick you out of the house. Nice. Brogative. So I had to get a job. Yeah. I, I really didn't have a choice. So I, so I got a random job and then I got interested in doing a bit of web stuff. And then someone decided that they would pay me to do web stuff. And then I got more and more into it from there. It was a bit random, if I'm honest, but it was great. So yeah. And then ended up becoming a little bit of a, I wouldn't say an expert, but quite good at to building websites in the... Uh, the early 2000s. What was that decade called? The noughties? The noughties, um, I've heard. It makes me cringe a bit. Yeah, well, I'm not sure what to call it. But I, either way, that, that was like the peak of my development capabilities came through uh, learning JavaScript and building websites and 
working for various different media agencies and client side and all sorts of different things. And eventually sort of developing myself and, and going for slightly different types of jobs and ending up where I am, which is far away from any code. I don't know when the last time I actually saw production code for a company that was paying me uh, was, <laughs> I think it was a long time ago, but yeah, so now I run a bunch of teams for Kazoo. Very cool. And obviously we met when I was working for ASOS. We did. And uh, I think that goes to back to about 2014, maybe. 13, would you be 13. 2013, I think is when I first We've come to ASOS. nine years this year. That's insane. Unbelievable. Wow, we, we, we've almost hit a decade. We'll have to celebrate. Wow. The Norton Joblin decade has nearly finished. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to celebrate. We will do, actually. One of those rare opportunities when we meet up as well in person. Yeah, it happens once every like 18 months or something. Well, in, three years at the moment, obviously. In, things have been a bit different. But, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm up to. Cool. So quite a journey from like, yeah, forced into webmaster coding roles out into running teams now. And I guess you say you don't see code much, but when it comes to software engineering, what does that actually mean for you? And what kind of, what does your typical day look like? Like the sort of stuff you get up to? Yeah. So my typical day doesn't involve a lot around software engineering, to be honest. So we've got a really good culture around software engineering. I don't need to do too much to keep that moving forwards. I've got a fantastic team underneath me that do most of that work. So cool. my days are far more thinking about the structure of the teams and how we should organize ourselves, thinking from very much a, a domain-driven design concept and how we should create bounded contexts that teams can operate within. And then thinking about what I guess we call projects, but projects isn't really the, quite the right word. So what I really want to see is teams continuously delivering against a product roadmap and not necessarily delivering projects, project, project, but instead delivering small increments that build out new capabilities on the platform that we've got. So thinking about how we're going to structure all of that, how we're going to take that forwards, what the right sequencing should be, the skills that we're going to need, but also the capacities within each team. So each team has a bounded context, essentially they own one vertical slice of our value stream. And the amount of work we need to do in each of those contexts can shift over time. So I spend a lot of time looking ahead, thinking, what are we going to do over the next quarter, the next two quarters? in each of these contexts and what do the capacity of the team need to look like. That doesn't always change very much, but sometimes it does. And so there's a, there's a lot of planning that goes into that. And then mm. it's around ways of working. So trying to make sure we've got the right agile practices in place in order to deliver those increments, to deliver at the right sort of pace, to be consistent and predictable. And right. the final bit of it is, is, is largely around team health. So trying to help keep all of my uh, fantastic software engineers happy keep teams operating well. So thinking about the right sort of training that we need to provide, but also just thinking about the way the teams work. Do they have enough space to have the right level of, of load on the team? So the ideally every team should be doing the most complex work that they can handle without going into the area where, where they don't know what they're doing or where it's too complex. So you want to have some load on each individual, the right amount so that everyone's stretched very slightly, but no one feels it's beyond that to do the work they're doing. And that's both at an individual level, but more important team level. So I spend quite a lot of time thinking about that. Like how, how do we make sure each team have the right level of load? Got it. So very strategic in a way, sort of a little bit of, you know, tactical changes here and there by the sound of it, but 
yeah. that's the worst case scenario for you. You should be thinking more long term, bigger picture. But yeah, how often do you get into detail with the teams? Do you mention like the team health, you know, like yeah, all that sort of stuff? Do you get to sit in the stand ups at all, or any of the other sort of ceremonies or meetings that they have? Occasionally, but but rarely. What I'm looking yeah. to do is is coach my engineering managers Got to it. do a great job in that for themselves. Where I'm getting into the detail is far more on the other aspects of team health. So thinking about the type of safety that's within the team and by, by which I mean psychological safety. So are we creating the right environment for people to speak out, to be individuals, be they are, um, and, and hold each other to account. So that's really mm-hmm. important. Do we have the right type of trust within these teams? So I'll go into the detail there. Occasionally, uh, I have to go into some technical architecture type details. So thinking about how the systems were building and how those bounded contexts come together into a customer experience. So. I'll talk to people about not shipping our org structure. I don't necessarily right. put it in quite those terms, but you, you run the risk when you break down your, your customer experience into these tightly bounded vertical contexts that you, you can just ship that org structure. So as you go through the customer experience, you see different things at each step because different teams have built those things. And we want each team to be as independent as possible. How do we bridge that problem? So that, that I'll be more in the detail. And that's not really an engineering problem per se. But it's more of a customer experience problem and more of a consistency issue. Mm. So that's where I'll get into into sort of slightly lower level detail. But it really depends. So what I'm looking to do ideally is have each team tell me on a regular basis how they're doing. So we have various reporting mechanisms that are pretty lightweight. And that tells me where I need to go and deep dive and get in some detail. So each month it could be a different team that's struggling with different things and they'll come and talk to me about it and I'll help them out with that and then they'll be fine and get on with that thing. I might not need to talk to them for some period of time, at least in the detail. So yeah, I can't be in the detail too much because there's a lot of people involved and orchestrating all of that is complex. It sounds quite complex and complicated in a way, but you're trying to keep it as simple as possible, especially from a customer experience perspective, from the team perspective, the operations side of things. And as you say, like the projects in inverted commas, they're not really projects. They're products in a way with small iterative feature ship, shipments and, you know, using best practices around that, I imagine. Yeah, that's right. And, and shipping in increments allows us to, to measure very quickly. So ideally, we want to always measure everything we do, which mm-hmm. is why whether it's team health, whether it's software quality, whether it's production stability, whether it's product market fit, if we can do a small incremental change, measure that. Mm. and see whether we were successful or not, see whether our hypothesis was correct. That's, that's the way I want to operate. So, you know, we might have a, a product, you know, talk about stability of production. We might say, okay, well, if we put some additional logging or some additional observability in place, does that allow us to respond more quickly to certain types of incidents? So we can make that change very quickly, push that to production and we can measure that. So we'll have count of the number of incidents for each team. And if mm. we see that count go down. In principle, we've done the right thing. And, or if our time, meantime to restore normal operations is, is faster, then we've done the right thing. So it's things like that that uh, we want to do where we're constantly measuring small change measure and then move forward from there. And sometimes we go backwards. Sometimes we'll make a change and it's wrong. But as long as we don't impact the customer experience, that's probably fine. That's the right way to operate in life. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think too many engineering teams get, they don't get into the detail with the numbers and often the impacts of what they're doing to send, make those adjustments further down the line. And it shouldn't even be that far, far, far down the line. It should be pretty much straight away. What's the next best thing, most important thing for us and our customers, because that's what we should be focusing on. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So 
based, based on all that, you've got a lot of strategic thinking to do some sort of, you know, in the weeds as it were, or, you know, real hands-on sort of stuff. How, what sort of balance are you looking like in a typical week, like 50%, you know, meetings, 50% actual thinking space, or do you, is it just complete all over the place? I mean, in terms of working hours, it's probably something like 75% meetings. Yeah. Maybe even a bit more at times. So the, the thinking time can be a bit limited, but a lot of the meetings that I'm in are about moving things forward in the way that I've described. And collectively. Exactly. Because if, if, if all the thinking is left to me, we're going to fail. Yeah. But I've got a big team underneath me. And what I want to do is give them the context. So I spend a lot of my time giving my fantastic team the context of, of what's going on in the business so that they can do the thinking and come and tell me what to do. Yeah. And they're just seeking to make sure that they're aligned with each other and with the wider context. They, I, I do not want teams asking me for permission to do things. All I want them to do is, is make sure that they're aligned to the goals of the business, goals of other teams and, and help enable them to, to move forwards. Really, that, and a lot of that strategic thinking is done by the teams themselves. And I'm just there trying to make sure that they've got the space to then go and execute when it, when it becomes time to execute. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of accountability by having that conversation with you that they've kind of agreed to the next steps and you're involved in that. You're more, it sounds like you've kind of shifted away from being like the contributor to the, the conversation, more of an informed or consulted mode and, you know, making sure that things are on track or aligned in a certain way. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I, if, if I'm contributing directly to all of these things, nothing will get done. I'm, I'm, I'm one person, but there's, there's yeah. so many other people who are way cleverer than me who can work all of this stuff out. So I just yeah. really need to find their way to get out of their way and let them get on with it. But obviously I'm accountable for various things. So I've got to make sure that I'm executing my accountability. Of course. Correctly. And keeping on those numbers and using the dashboards that you talked about just to make sure that, and the reporting exactly. and the login and that sort of stuff that is all looking good. We could probably yeah. talk about this a lot, but I'm, I'm more mindful of like how your day is impacted by this. What, what sort of times do you typically work from the start to end, or is it a bit gray around that as well? Oh, it's, it's pretty gray. I mean, we have sort of, we have informal core hours, I guess, that, that we're working. But I'll, I'll often be logged on at sort of half past eight in the morning start picking up on what, what's happening for the day, what's been going on. I'll work pretty normal hours, you know, I'll, I'll clock off at six, maybe get a bit of a, you know, a couple of breaks during the day. We do work hard, but we don't tend to find people working long hours. We've got, I think, I think for most people in my teams, anyway, the work balance is, is pretty good work-life balance mm-hmm. for me personally. Yeah, I, sometimes I can get into a bit of a workaholic mode. And no one's asking me to do this, but I'll put extra hours in because I want to, because I enjoy doing the job. So, so I'll end up doing that occasionally, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm happy to work pretty hard during the day and then try and switch off. Are you good at turning off at the end of the day though? Cause I'm not, oh. I'm, I can be in a mode where I'm just like, hang on, I just want to check teams or clear out some of the emails that I missed throughout the day. Yeah, I'm terrible at it. <laughs> terrible. I'm, I'm just constantly looking at Slack, constantly checking my diary, what's next, constantly thinking about stuff. It's, it's, I can be lying in bed at 11 o'clock at night, making notes on things that just dawned on me for the next, I've got to do the next day. So I'm I'm a bit of a night owl. So the problem is that I'll get to 11 o'clock at night, think, right, time to go to bed. But then my brain is fully active thinking about what's going on. Yeah. And actually thinking back to our old days when we used to do our podcast, Verbal Diary. 
that was a pain in the ass to try and arrange because you were a night owl. I'm a early bird and we just couldn't find the right time to do it. It was always a struggle. Although I think if we picked it up again these days, I think, I think mornings would be more viable than they used to. Ooh. Because I've, I've had to become more of a morning person. Somehow. That's interesting. We might have to hop. It's the, it's the change in the world, you know, so because I don't commute anymore very much. Mornings have become mine again. Yeah. So it used to be that, you know, get up, leave the house at half past seven in the morning, spend an hour getting to an office, and by which time you're in the office, you can't really do your own thing. Whereas now I'm still up at quarter past seven or whatever it is. Yeah. But I don't have to, I, the whole morning is mine most days of the week. So I can do other things that previously I wouldn't have been able to do because there just wasn't time. You mentioned you're a bit of a workaholic. You're not saying you are, but do you feel like at that time of the day you're up, you might as well get on with it. And that, then you realize, oh yeah, now it's 6 PM and I'm, I've lost the day again. No, no, because I'm terrible in the morning. So I tend <laughs> to not log on until my daughter's gone off to school, for instance. Um, Got it. So it's normally about 8.30 at the earliest I'll, I'll be online doing anything. So no, but it, it, it's the evenings, which are the problem for me because I'm a night out. So, you know, I, I will. Slack have this great feature where you can schedule messages for the next day. So yep. I will often go to bed with 20 messages scheduled. So nine, all for 9am. So at 9am, a whole load of people just suddenly get a bunch of stuff from the phone. 9.05, you've got all the replies to deal with. And then, then I wish I hadn't done it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to stagger it, like almost buffer.com, all my work dates. Maybe I should start doing that. But yeah, so I'll often, often be in that position. Though, so I, I don't like to send messages out of hours to anyone no. because... You have to be conscious. I think when you're a leader in a business, you have to be really conscious of the impact that you talking to someone has. Mm -hmm. And and so for me to be sending a message to someone at seven o'clock at night, they may see that as something they have to respond to. And mm -hmm. I don't want to put people in that position. So no. I, I will do my utmost not to send messages to people outside of working hours. Yeah, I do my absolute best because I don't, I don't want people to feel like they have to respond to me. Out of hours. They'd... Yeah, I'm similar, and I always set that expectation. If I do send it out of hours, I'm like, you do not need to reply until tomorrow. I just want to get this off my brain for when you're next looking at your phone or device. Yeah, yeah. Now, everyone has, everyone where I work has Slack on their phone, so got to be careful. Got to be careful because I, I do want to respect people's, you know, working hours yeah. and personal time. Like, like I expect people to respect mine as well. I don't want people contacting me at seven o'clock at night unless it's uh, something urgent. No, exactly. I mean, you mentioned it a few times, the fact that you now got this time back because of the pandemic. How, how, are there any other things that have affected you in that sense? I mean, there's been loads of impact from the pandemic. Well, I think from a sort of time and working perspective, working at home, I find has, has helped me with that strategic thinking so that even though there's a small amount of time to do it in, because I can shut, I, I'm not going to have to have, have a little office at home. I can shut the door and mm -hmm. I can... I can actually switch off the computer and just sit and think. And it's, it's, I don't have to worry about how that looks. I don't have to worry about the perception of other people. If I'm just sitting back in the chair and thinking rather than actively on the computer, for instance. So in, in an office, I find it far more difficult to, to do that because I think people would think, oh, he's not doing anything. I think perception is really important as well. So I wouldn't kind of don't know if that would be the perception I'd want to give off. I haven't actually thought about that. But it's great that at home, I can just shut the door to my office, no one's seeing what I'm doing, and I can just sit and literally sit and think, or I have a whiteboard in my office, I can just scribble on the whiteboard a few ideas. And I find that much harder to do 
in an office surrounded by people sitting at a desk in you know an open plan space like like, like we all work in and i think this is a real problem with open plan offices that mm. it's 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 weird if you saw someone in in your open plan office just sort of sitting back in the chair and not looking at their computer maybe their laptop's closed just literally sitting and thinking you'd be like they're doing it what's going on <laughs> but actually that can be a really important part of work totally i think and that's a thing we've struggled with maybe not pre-pandemic actually slightly sooner than earlier than that when you know like that presence was important and you would always expect people to be proactively doing stuff all the time or looking busy and actually yeah like you say the thinking time you just don't get the opportunity i, I think at times even when we were in the office i'd book a meeting room just for myself to mm. get away from everyone and have a think about some bits because it was easy that way yeah i think i think that was a great tactic but it is, it is funny how the pandemic has shifted the ability for for me personally anyway to, to think a bit more in, in, in a structured way not worry about meeting rooms is fantastic but there is this temptation to work more because at home you know i've got i've invested in a good office setup yeah so it's not like before where i have, might have had a laptop with me i say i'm lucky enough to have an office at home and i've invested in a nice desk and a good screen and all these things that allow me to have a fantastic working environment so to sit in here and do another hour's work of an evening is not so much of a chore and maybe that's no. a bad thing but maybe what I should do is put a lock on the, my office door so that my wife can close it and lock it and hide the keeper. And lock you in there. Oh, then that's what will happen. <laughs> I don't think you should lock, lock me out of it, but actually you're right. All you could do is like a time lock. You just make sure it closes at a certain time. You can't get out before then. Almost like Crystal Maze. <laughs> oh, yeah. We should definitely have the Crystal Maze in our homes. That's a great idea. I like that. Yeah, if you're working longer than 7 p.m., you're locked in for the night, oh, baby. What? What was the name of the guy who was the presenter of Crystal Maze at the beginning? It was Richard O'Brien, wasn't there? And then, Brian, I, I quite like him to be in my house shouting at me. That, <laughs> I think that'd be quite good fun. You're Ali Wadi now, haven't you? Who does it instead? Who is it? Yeah. Okay, I haven't seen it in ages. It made a weird comeback like, in the last few years, but people love it because it's got such a cool following. Do they still start the fans, please? Yeah. And I, I say that when I've got teams on a Mac because it's start the fans, please. It just kicks in and goes mental. You obviously haven't got one of the new Macs then. No, I'm still on the older ones, not the new uh, ones or twos. Yeah, these new new M1 Macs are unbelievable. <laughs> We're going on a tangent here now, but <laughs> we have gone up on a tangent. I feel very sorry for you having to use Teams as well, in a way, because I have to do the occasional meeting with Teams with, with suppliers and partners we work with, and it it's nowhere near as good as, as some of the other stuff that's out there. And it is interesting how obviously you get used to the tools that you've got, mm -hmm. but it is quite interesting how different these different tools are so teams which i've used a little bit is a much more it's a very microsoft thing it's an all-in-one platform you never have to leave teams you've got your chat you've got your video you've got documents sharing all of that stuff mm -hmm. but each bit of it it's just not quite as good as the competition so you know we're we're, we're a google company i mean right. we're not over google uh -uh. no but you use their suite yeah yeah and i mean hangouts was, mm -hmm. was pretty bad two and a bit two and a half years ago it's now it's okay. good um, but it's the document stuff that I, I could never give up again, ever. It's the sharing on there is so good. And Slack we use, which again, is it's, it's fine, but it's really improved quite, a, I think it's improved quite a bit. And yeah, God, when I have to log into a Teams meeting, I'm like, is this like the 18th century? <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. I mean, we, we, yeah, we have to use what we've got basically, but I think it, it goes back to that point. Do one yeah. thing well. 
And that's what Zoom and Slack have done. You know, they, they've identified a product and they've made it yeah. really good. Whereas Microsoft go, do all of it. Okay. And that's, that seems to be their attitude. It's yeah. all a bit middling, but nothing's bad. But it nothing's works. Like it's a first world problem. But as, as geeks, we're going to criticize these things because we can. Do you do a lot of whiteboarding in your job? Not in my current role, no, but some of the teams do. And that's where, again, Teams has got mixed sort of, you know, solutions available. Teams got whiteboarding in it? It's got native Microsoft thing. Then you can plug in stuff like Miro or Mural or any of the other sort of online whiteboarding tools. Oh, okay. Miro? Yeah. I'd have called it Miro. But whatever you call it, that is a revolutionary product for me. So do you use Miro a lot then, not Miro? Unbelievable. Yeah, tons. Tons. And I guess with your role, again, being quite strategic across so many teams, it's so invaluable from a remote perspective as well. Yeah, actually, I don't create a lot of boards in Miro. I tend to use it more for uh, reading stuff, for learning about what's going on within teams, understanding what they're trying to do, um, seeing what they've been working on. I get asked for input quite a bit. So it's more that side of of Miro, but it is is pretty cool, it has to be said. I use that quite a bit. but obviously that's more remote friendly, but you know, in your role now, do you go to the office at all or is it mo- or still very much yeah. remote? No, I, I go to the office once or twice a week, typically. Okay. So I really enjoy going to the office actually. And what, what do you prefer the best out of going in? You know, what's the, what's the be- good best thing for going in for? I enjoy the change of pace that day of the week, or maybe just, you know, a couple of days. I, I actually genuinely just enjoy having a different sort of day. It breaks the week up. I enjoy seeing people in person, having impromptu conversations mm-hmm. and, and sitting in rooms with, with people and being able to sort of look them in the eye as you're having a conversation. It's fantastic. I, I really enjoy that. So yeah, actually I, I quite enjoy going to office. I'm lucky I've got a pretty, pretty easy, short commute. Right. If I had like a two hour commute, I'd probably hate it. So that, that helps. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really those, it's those impromptu conversations where I'll bump into someone and say, we need to talk. Let's grab five minutes. And you can, whereas when you're remote, everything has to be a meeting. Structured. Yes. And, and that structure is very expensive. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's nice to not have to bear that cost when I'm in the office. Absolutely. But I don't like going too much. It's it, yeah, two, two days a week, I think suits me very well. And you say you're quite close to the office. How long is your commute then? If you, if you do go in. So it kind of depends whether I get the bus to the station and, right. and I get a fast train or a slow train. But if I get a bus to the station and the fast train, I can be 40 minutes door to door. good. But typically it averages out a little bit longer to 45. Really not bad. It's one train. It's really not too bad. So I, I, I don't mind. The bit that I do find funny is, is trying to grab lunch in the office. <laughs> so when I'm working from home, I often don't have a lunch break, but I'll often have lunch during a meeting there'll be something i can you know be half concentrated on it um whereas in the office that's a bit more challenging so you have to remember to build time in to go and go and grab some lunch but then i really enjoy going and having some variety true and it's not just the same old stuff from the kitchen you actually get a selection out in central london yeah and my wife loves it when i go into the office because it means i don't spend the whole morning asking her what should i have for lunch today It's a fair point. I mean, we met for lunch last week, didn't we? You know, we're, we're both in London. We managed to arrange our calendars to work. But you, you talk about your meetings. Do you tend to have a clearer day on a, an office day, or is it still full of like different things going on? It's full of everything. Yeah. So I'll give you a. Uh, let me have a look at my my diary from when I was in last week. 
not the day we met up actually but yeah because you managed to free that one up a bit better that's why that's it I. yeah the day after i was in meetings from nine till six in the office and i did manage to carve an hour out for so you did find out an hour but you had to literally yeah. shoehorn it into your calendar to make it happen yeah no well it wasn't a problem to create an hour for that fine. that was fine um but yeah i was in meetings nine till six and i had a 15 minute break in the morning it's hardcore it's pretty hardcore i was exhausted I mean, that's quite rare. If I'm in the office, it's quite rare to be quite that bad. Normally, I'll try and build in a couple of breaks. I'm sort of just in the office and people can come chat to me if they want to or if I want to chat to other people. It happened to be a bad one last week. But um, <laughs> typically, I will try and create gaps because that I think that makes life a bit easier. Do you find the days in, though, you're a lot more tired in the evening and you actually will probably sleep better? I don't always find that. But I often go out after work as well when I go to the office. Like if I'm in town already, I'll meet up with friends or whatever. A bit of a social so thing. It, yeah. yeah. So it negates the sleeping well because <laughs> I'll often be out late. But um, I do sometimes find that, that that's the case. But not not always. Not always. I, I, because I don't have... I've, <laughs> I kind of get into a meeting with them and sit there for three hours as different people come in from various meetings. <laughs> it's not that different from being at home. It's always. Totally. I mean, you're in your meeting room. I'm in my meeting room at home, and it, all of my door entrances are through online. Indeed. More interruptions. Cool stuff, man. Um, I also, also want to find out a bit more about how what you do to unwind, apart from obviously socialising outside of work. Do Do you do anything like with the family, with your, with your daughter? What, what What do you do? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, at the weekends in particular, go out and do stuff with with my daughter. As a family, we'll go and you know head into town go and do stuff there go out for a meal or uh, go and see a show or something we love going to the theater um things like that evenings are more just you know sit on the sofa and watch some tv nothing particularly exciting um, but that's but yeah. the dangerous point where you start picking up your phone for a bit of doom scrolling and slack exactly yeah too too much slack too much tiktok um but otherwise i can't imagine you on tiktok oh, are you doing many dance music videos oh yeah, it's all, it, yeah I'm, I'm doing all the dancing on tiktok no i i'm very passive on tiktok i'm far more uh a consumer than i am a creator <laughs> to the point where i've created precisely zero <laughs> i think i've got um, one just to test it out and that was it right but i'm not i i know you're into your side hustles i don't really have any side hustles to be honest i'm just sort of like pottering around the house you know, just doing different stuff. So whether it's even just the washing up, it just changes the mindset a little bit. It it, yeah. it changes your mindset. It gets you away from the screen and, you know, that thinking exactly. time when you're exactly. just washing up, I find it's really useful actually. And maybe catching up on some podcasts or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, pretty much every day I'll go out for a walk for an hour. Mm -hmm. As you say, listen to some podcasts and just, just sort of get some fresh air really. It does it's, wonders. It, it, it does do wonders. So yeah, that's the extent of the unwinding. I'm not very good at unwinding. I've never been very good at unwinding. Just winding up. I'm good at winding up, much less good at winding down. <laughs> but I'm terrible at side hustles and side projects. Well, we we had a stint, didn't we, with the Verbal Diary podcast? We did, and we should probably do that again because it was quite good fun. But the but I'm still terrible at it because I'm terrible at carving time out, and I'm terrible at. Um, being committed to more than like one thing at a time so <laughs> that, i mean that's Brilliant. one of the tricks though we should know this one not no more than one thing at a time focus will you exactly but it, it yeah i have a pretty full-on job so it, it can be hard to 
find the motivation to do other things that involve sitting in front of a computer. Oh, and that's the thing for me. It's like, especially with lockdown, people were just looking at screens all day. They didn't want to do it at nighttime as well. It just makes things even yeah. worse. Yeah. The thing is, like, the whole lockdown thing was obviously a period. Um, and I do feel a little bit like I'd be trying to make up for the lost time there. So I have been probably going out socializing with friends more than before lockdown, now that people are sort of back at normal activity levels on the whole, mm. because it, it felt like a lot of lost time. And for me personally, it was, uh, it was a really tough period and, and, um, yeah, I was sort of didn't really do anything for a year. No. And then we sort of started to do stuff again. And I wanted to really take it well to do that. Of course you would. But like you say, back in that time, we were very limited and restricted to what we could do. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I noticed with the on the side community, it was the Slack community I got for side projects. It was so busy during the pandemic, and it's gone quiet now. Everyone's got other yeah. things to be doing. I'm like, cool. As long as you're happy and enjoying yourself, carry on. Yeah, exactly, and I'm, I'm I'm sure that there are less side hustles going on right now. And um, I kind of hope so because okay. I think there's more to life than a side hustle. That's the point of it. It's just, just be a bit of fun when you're bored. <laughs> quite, quite. <laughs> Quite. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to drop something on you. Go on then, flip them on. In the spirit of a verbal diary, I thought I'd, uh, I'd send you, I'd send you my picture of the week. Oh, you got a picture of a week? Yeah. Right. So just for context, when we used to do verbal diary podcasts, we'd have every week, we take turns to choose a picture of the week and to talk about it. So I'm going to get my images up. Wasn't there a link of the week as well or something? We did all sorts like that, didn't we? It was like link of the week, yeah. picture of the week. There was Tweet of the Week, I think, at one point. I'm just sent you in our secret uh, chat channel, secret private chat, my picture of the week. Oh, hello. So I'm looking at an x-ray of a hand. Is that right? That is right. The or the left. That is right, in fact. That is actually my daughter's hand. Okay. Now, I thought this was quite amazing. So my daughter broke her finger recently oh, and you actually can't see the break on this particular picture but she broke her finger uh playing basketball in the garden she hyperextended her Ooh. anyway so we weren't sure if it was broken so we thought you know what we'll take her to hospital so i took her to hospital and we waited for a few hours obviously and then we got seen and uh we were sent for an x-ray okay and for me i've still got this picture in my head that you go for an x-ray and then someone takes out this huge like negative of your x-ray puts it up on a light box looks at it sort of you know rubs their chin very hard has a thing that's not how it works these days and I was, but the reason i thought this was interesting is the technology around this astonished me so first of all look at the clarity of that it's beautiful you really see stuff it's unbelievable and that picture you're looking at is me taking a picture using my phone <laughs> of a screen of a computer screen in the x-ray booth wow so the x-ray takes the picture and it instantly appeared on the operator's computer screen. And I just took a picture of it. It appeared instantly, which was slightly unexpected to me, even though I shouldn't know. <laughs> and then the clarity was incredible. Anyway, and then we leave the x-ray room, go back to the consulting room. We, we were um, speaking to a nurse who then immediately loaded it up on her computer and started zooming into it and moving it around, doing all the sort of image manipulation you would expect to be able to do. And I was pretty astonished that by two things in this, first of all, by the technology leap that seems to have happened where x-rays can happen instantly and it's all passes around. But I was also 
pretty astonished to um by my own astonishment at that <laughs> very meta because i'd somehow not really thought that that this technology would have kept up with the march of technology in general but it somehow has and anyway i thought it was pretty cool i mean it's pretty cool so, and i agree yeah. I, I think we get carried away with tech innovation and progression without realizing how it could be really applied in the real world and obviously no, after I'm, 20 years of healthcare, you'd hope that x-rays would keep up but again our wonderful have, nhs really? i wouldn't expect it to to be off the time either but uh, yeah you see the thing at the top of the picture yep it's not the hand but it's like a marker yep the computer can use that it knows the size of that thing okay so what she was able to do the nurse was zoom it right into areas she thought might be broken and measure them. And it was coming up with like, I think two decimal places of a millimeter. The wow. measurement she was getting, it was unbelievable. Incredibly, I thought that was an incredibly clear image of my daughter's hand. Um, long story short, how is your daughter now? Is she okay? She's, well, she, I mean, she's got a broken finger. So she's in a little bit of mild pain, a bit of strapping on her finger. And, um, yeah, bless. She's okay. She's all right. Give her another day. I love how your takeaway was the tech, not the actual situation. I mean, the situation is what it was, you know, yeah. I, I, obviously <laughs> I'm trying to look after my daughter. Um, <laughs> but that's the easy bit that I thought that was actually the easy bit. No, it's just getting your head around the idea of x-rays evolving so much. Yeah. I was, I was pretty impressed. So <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed the visit to the hospital in the end. Brilliant. And this is the third time my daughter's broken something on her right hand in just over two years. What are you saying? It's weirdly timed as well with her breakages. Like they're always going to be bang on the year every time of this year. Yeah. Yeah. It was beginning of July, 2020, beginning of July, 2021, the <laughs> end of June, 2022. Maybe you should stop playing basketball this time of year and you'd be all right. Well, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Um, maybe she needs more calcium. I, 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 it's, well, we actually, we asked the doc, we asked the doctor, do you think she needs more calcium? And the doctor, well, I don't know. Great. Thanks. Thanks doc. That was really, that was, that was really useful. Thanks for that. Bless you. But they're interesting. And I like the, uh, the idea of a picture of a week. Here we go. That's a new, new additional feature to this. We can bring it back. I, I, I thought I had to give you a picture of the week. You did. Well, uh, I potentially got another picture of the week, but then again, it's, uh, it's, it's not safe for work. So well, well, <laughs> I think we should. <laughs> um, we've rambled a lot. This is proper ransom banter mode, isn't it? Like the old days. I'm just yeah. thinking, have you got any final tips for anyone that is listening still um, on how to find that home life balance? I think don't stress about it. So it's really important to have a good work-life balance, but everyone's different. So don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't stress about it. Find something that works for you. And the most important thing is to just stick with it. Be consistent. Communicate to your colleagues at work when you're not going to be working so that it's super clear. Make sure all your statuses on your like Slack or Teams, whatever system you use, reflect when you are and when you're not working so that people can respect um, and know and respect when you're not mm -hmm. and respect others in the same position. I, I, I wouldn't stress about it too much. No. Awareness is the main thing. So. If you can practice some level of mindfulness, if you can be self-aware to know when it's too much and you're getting the balance wrong, then you can adjust. But that's, that's the way that I would think about it, the way I think people should approach it. I think it's a very good one. And like I said, I like the idea of the, um, the status settings in your chosen comms channels. I've noticed a lot of people yeah. put it on, they've got a team status saying my core hours are eight till four, for example, and I'll catch mm -hmm. up tomorrow if I'm not, because I've got a child. 
And that's, I think yeah. it's a perfectly valid reason to sort of go, I've got these core hours for my child's benefits. Um, yeah. But yeah, good. I like that shout and um, don't stress about it. It's probably crucial because otherwise you're not doing it very well. Yeah. I think what, what, what do I do is uh, in Google, with Google Calendar, you can say what the working hours are and then there's a plugin for Slack that can like, pass that through to Slack. Nice. So it'll put you as not out of office, but away. I think it is. I can't remember what status it is. Do, yeah. Not do not disturb or something else. Yeah. Whatever it is, other, everyone can see. So that's quite good because I can just set it in one place. Um, yeah. Awareness of these things is everything. So, you know, we talked a little bit about software in production. Mm. Software's going to work. It's going to sometimes break. The question, do you know, do you need that observability? And the same counts for people. Yeah. You need to be aware. Yeah. So some people can work 12 hours a day, five, six, seven days a week and feel fine. Some can't, but are you aware? Are you mindful of, of your own limits? That's the thing to focus on. So if people in my team come to me and ask for advice around, you know, feeling stressed or feeling burnt out, what I'll normally focus on is not what's going on today, but actually how do you build the awareness to know that you're heading in that direction early and can make the right changes Yeah. sooner so you don't get all the way to burnout, so you can stop yourself sooner and I think that's that's far more effective than trying to fix what's going on. And it goes back to your earlier point about creating that culture, that safe culture around the teams, being able to communicate like that, and you being yeah. able to observe, or some of the teammates being able to observe and help anyone that's not in a good place. Exactly. It it, it all everything starts with trust. Yep. If you have trust, you can have these conversations. So, my, my recommendation to everyone on the who's listening to this podcast is. Go and read The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. Ooh, nice. I've just found out that there is actually a manga edition of the book, which I've got right here. Oh, very cool. Look at that. So I haven't actually read this manga edition yet, but I'm going to. Read the full book, read the manga edition, whatever you like. Um, listen to it as an audio book. That is, I think, pretty foundational to how to think about effective teams. And, and um, like I said, The F Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni talks about trust an awful lot and it's a it's a great starting point for anyone looking to um, understand how to build safe environments i remember that book i don't that think one. i've ever read it but so I'll, I'll i'll get it and put the details in the show notes for anyone who does want to find out more about that nice one james oh it's been a pleasure as always fella i'm uh we could have gone on a little bit longer i reckon we could but it's, it's been really my pleasure great to have a chat about something different so yeah something different and we might even get that verbal diary going again at some point if that's the case yeah i mean I, i'm aware of my limits so if you want to do it that's one thing but don't rely on me to edit it uh, we'll work something out <laughs> it's, on, it's on the record now <laughs> so we can think about that um, if anyone wants to get older you mate how, what's the best channels to use uh, twitter socials anything like that so i'm on twitter as nortools n-o-r-t-o-o-l-s that's me. Yep. That's me. I'm not really anywhere else. Uh, I'm not on the book. No. Facebook, that is. Uh, or the gram. That's it, Instagram. Thanks. I'm not on the talks, really. No, that's TikTok. Obviously. I just, I'm just, I'm just consuming content. That's all I do with it there. But yeah, so best way to, if you want to reach out, is through Twitter. Cool. We'll get that in the show notes as well. But, um, mate, been a pleasure. And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll get back together again soon and do something else. That'd be great. Cheers, buddy. Thanks very much. Thanks again to James for his insights and thoughts on finding that healthy work-life balance. He'll openly admit he can be a workaholic, but has those handy little tricks to set boundaries and expectations with his family and teammates. You can connect with James on Twitter at Nortools if you want to chat about it more. That's all from me for this week. 
Remember to like, review and subscribe to the podcast. Reach out to me at Cy on Twitter or email hello at makelifeworkpodcast.com. I'll be back next week with another wonderful guest sharing their stories about how they make life work.